Now, how many of us here in this room sail through life in perfect joy all the time? All right, all right. I'm going to be meeting up with the three of you later because I, I want the tips and tricks. But what I know for most of us, sometimes a little less than joy and perfection can kind of creep in, right? Um, for inspiration this week, not only am I using Ernest Holmes and this lovely book called Love and Law, but I also did a little research. I was trying to think, who on the face of this planet maybe has the most joy on a day-to-day basis in their life? And immediately, I remembered some interviews I have seen of the Dalai Lama. And that man, I mean, whether he's in exile, you know, whether his people are in the middle of a famine, you know, come what may, this man has uh, insatiable good humor. And so I, I did a little research on the internet, and I was trying to find a Dalai Lama joke. Well, you know, um, and, and kind of like it's a contradiction in words. But I did find this sweet story uh, printed in the New York Daily News earlier this year. So in a recent public outing, the Dalai Lama was asked about his reaction. Now, what reporter would do this? But asked about his reaction to Tiger Woods' sex scandal. <laughs> now, I mean, yeah, doesn't it take nerve? Here's the Dalai Lama, and you ask about that. But the, anyway, the, so they sort of explained to him, you know, what Tiger had done and issues with his wife and things like that. And, and so the Dalai Lama thought about it for a minute, and he said, you know, all religions have this same idea when it comes to adultery. And, and whether you're a Buddhist or a, a member of another religion, the idea of self-discipline, he said, that's what's important, self-discipline with an awareness of consequences. That idea of being true to yourself and the people that you love. Now, this reporter, however, just like wouldn't let it stop, right? So the reporter said, well, okay, but what I really want to know is if there's anything in particular that you would say to this man. The Dalai Lama smiled and said, Tiger who? <laughs> right in the New York Daily News. So today we are going to be talking about the joy of living. And, uh, you know, in the New York Times just a few days ago was another article that I pulled out because it raises a question that I think a lot of us might have a difference of opinion on. Now, as, as good science of minders, right, as people that have been hanging out for here a while, we know that with practice we can begin choosing our thoughts. And we know that our thoughts are things, that they're powerful, and that over time, as we change our thinking, to be more in line with what we want to experience in the world, we indeed will experience those things. So as we begin having more thoughts of happiness and graciousness or joy or peace or whatever it is, over time, like a magnet drawn to us, are those things that will fulfill those thoughts. Okay, that probably most of us agree on. This article, however, suggested something that maybe we're unfamiliar with. This article suggests that we also choose our feelings. Now think about this one for a moment. Most of us, and, and even the, the speaking, the vernacular, the English usage around feelings tends to be something that was done to you, right? You made me feel so mad. That situation made me very tearful, right? It's as though something happens or someone interacts with us. We have some situation out in the world and as though we you know, have no control, the feelings well up in us, you know, whether it be rage or sadness, whether it be peace or whether it be turmoil. 
this article suggests different, and I, I want to read just a couple bits of it for you, because you know, it's actually kind of backed up with some science and some surveys that were done. So rigorous, uh, the, uh, actually the title of the, of the piece is what attracted me to it initially. It's The Benefits of Blowing Your Top. <laughs> <laughs> But, but let me read a little bit more in here. It says, rigorous study of what psychologists called emotional regulation is fairly new and yet well documented. Runaway emotions define many mental disorders, and so restraint, the restraint of our emotions is often associated with good mental health, and it's something that we train ourselves from childhood. Research in the past few years has found that people develop a variety of psychological tools to manage their emotions. And it, it, it's quite a long article, but I wanted to highlight just a couple of those tools. The one of them is called a preemptive technique. And that is simply when you're feeling an emotion that is unwanted, knowing yourself well enough, you will call forth ideas and beliefs that will reverse it. And the interesting thing of, about this is it said that people around the age of 30 and younger have a very difficult time in doing this. And it said people at, on the average age of 50 and older can do this with some aplomb. Now, it didn't say whether this is just lifelong practice or, or if there's something in the aging and maturing process that allows us to see the benefit of it. But they pointed out that literally people, as, as maybe something rotten happens to them, they'll put on music that would tend to evoke a different kind of mood. They might uh, uh, reminisce about a happier time. They might find something in their environment like going out into the garden or going out in nature that fairly purposefully many people will use this preemptive technique to actually switch what might have been an unpleasant feeling, an unpleasant situation into something where the unpleasantness is very short-lived and instead we reverse it into some, just through the power of our own thoughts, through the power of bringing about another emotional set to something that we do like. The other one, which really kind of stumped me, was that people choose the emotions they feel are more appropriate for the situation. Now, that kind of makes sense, but what was interesting in the study is that people who were going into perhaps what would be considered a stressful situation were welling up inside themselves with anger before anything actually happened. And they had, you know, some tests and some measurements about this. They, they told people that they were going to be on a telephone call with a bill collector, for instance. And then they, prior to the actual call, that they had them do, you know, a survey about how they were feeling and things like that. And almost unequivocally, people who were getting ready for what, you know, most people might consider an unpleasant situation were already feeling the encounter as though it had already happened. Now, the only explanation for this is that we are choosing our emotions, not just our thoughts, but even what we're going to feel around them. All right. Now, I know that we have unconscious thoughts. I'm guessing that a lot of these reactions on the emotional situation are also unconscious emotional reactions. What can we do 
to make our, even sometimes ahead of time, to make our emotional reaction into something that's a little more planned and something that's a little more conscious, right? Because we're not used to thinking about emotions this way. Many of us were, made, were raised either with the idea that emotions are bad, right? The idea, you know, don't show too much emotion. If you're a little boy, you know, that kind of stoic idea is pre-planned into people. If, uh, if you're a little girl, especially emotions of anger or things like that, you know, that's not the way little girls are meant to believe. So for a lot of us, this has been pre-planned, pre-planned in from birth. I want to shake things up a little bit. I want to make, first of all, an invitation for us to begin analyzing our own emotional content, if you will. From, from today forward, for at least a couple weeks, I'd like us to begin being aware of kind of like the tone painting that is our life. Do you know what I mean about a tone painting? It isn't so much the individual thoughts. It isn't so much the individual situations of what's going on in your life. But I'd really like us to have more of awareness of how you feel about it. Because what I do know is that we are separate from the stuff that happens in our life. And if we are going to be merely a mirror, merely a reaction to the stuff that's going on, then we're kind of at the mercy, right, of other people, other situations, other places, you know, whatever comes our way. We're in that place of reaction to it instead of that place of being able to choose how we want to feel how we want to participate, how we want to show up. So the first part of it, for the next couple weeks, I mean, and you may want to just keep this up because I think it's a cool thing, but awareness of just what's going on inside of you and an awareness of, is this something I'm choosing or am I in a place of reaction? And if I'm in that place of reaction, is that what I want to be? Do I want to be giving my power of perhaps feeling better about my situation? Do I want to give that over to that external event, that external person, you know, whatever it is? Because what I know from reading this, this survey and this study in the New York Times, you know, if I'm going to go have a difficult meeting with my boss, I don't want to go in angry, right? If I'm having a difficult uh, conversation maybe with a loved one over the phone, someone that I've, you know, kind of have bad blood with or someone I haven't talked to in a long time, I don't want to go into it assuming that the outcome is going to be bad and that sense of tension in my stomach. I mean, besides the fact, right, that if we go into it expecting those things, that's apt to be what we're going to get. Beyond that, I just want that equanimity of knowing that whatever comes to me, like the Dalai Lama, can be met with a smile can be met from that sense of serenity and truly that joy of living. So today, if we're talking about the joy of living, I want to highlight the idea of being in love with life. Not just an individual person, not just an individual situation. I know a lot of us will say, what does love mean to you? And they'll say, well, it means when I'm with my grandchild, just holding her you know, brings love into my life, or, or it's my partner, or, or maybe it's, it's your job if, if you're working in a field like I do that you just love to be there, you love to be doing it. You know, those things can trigger these feelings of love, but what happens when the circumstances change, right? I think that it is absolutely possible for us to be in love with life itself. 
Now, often it takes the form of the people we love, of the situations. It can take the form of a grandchild or someone close to you. But how sweet to know that it's something that it actually originates right in here, right? I mean, Linda's song was so poignant, so loving, and yet what, despite all that, now here I, here I build you up, now I'm going to tear you down, Linda. But what I know is the actual love resided in here. Now the author of that song and, and Linda's beautiful interpretation of it, that helps us to put ourselves there, but the actual love, it's right here. All right, so how do we take events that may be unwelcome, how do we take situations and people that can sometimes feel a little bit like a thorn in our sides, a little bit um, kind of like loving the unlovable, how do we approach that? And I think the place for me is where we put our attention. Now there's this idea, I think, of the idea of due attention and undue attention. Have you ever had someone say, well, you put a little undue attention on something, which I think is a polite way of saying, you're way out of line with what's going on here, right? And have you ever known anyone that sort of overreacts to something that happened where, um, you know, some little thing, in fact, yesterday was a good example as I was preparing for my divine dining experience, uh, which was a lot of fun. And those of you who came to the party last night, it's like, thanks for coming. We had a great time. But like I got up early in the morning to start making the food and we had to take all of the food over to Daniel's studio and there was the setting up of the video equipment because we were showing music videos and, and it um, to be honest, neither Daniel or I had really thought of how long it would take. And so it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm totally starting to stress out, i got to tell you. I really was. It's like, is there enough food? Is the equipment set up? Daniel said, have you seen the extender cord, right, on, the, on part of the video equipment? And I'm going, shit. <laughs> and I'm not supposed to think things like that. But what I, re <laughs> but what I realized was, we're throwing a party. The intent of this is joy. The intent of this is totally about the love of life, the joy of living itself. And you know what? The only thing that needs to be there at this party for this to happen is me and the people that are going to be there. Right? And so what if people end up eating a few more nuts instead of sandwiches? So what if we had a little glitch in the video system for a few minute, minutes? It's really kind of not the point. The stuff on the outside is just the stuff on the outside. And the true joy of living is right here, and no one can take it away from you. No encounter with a boss, no phone call with an ex-wife, no you know, immediacy of something that's right in your face right now can take away the joy of, love, of living that lives right here in your heart. Okay, so what is the idea of due attention and undue attention? Due attention is when I'm preparing for the party next time, I'll know that I need about eight full hours to get ready for this thing, right? Due attention is probably having a little bit more of a list to check off as I go. Due attention is knowing not that you're in control. Control often is pretty elusory, 
But knowing that you at least have a plan, this would be due attention. Okay, now what would undue attention look like? Undue attention is worrying that everything's going to go wrong. Undue attention is thinking, you know, if the food isn't just right, people aren't going to have a good time. Undue attention is worrying about things to the point where you have lost the focus on the whole point of the matter, which in my case was a party. But in your case, it might be, you know, just being at work and getting a job done, right? That would be the due attention. The undue attention was, oh, and my coworkers hate me. Or, uh, you know, worrying about whether they're going to lay me off. It's like these things may come up. We may have to deal with them. There may be a point in which case due attention (laughs) is appropriate. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we can be fully present, fully aware, fully alert to what's going on in our own lives and expressing the joy in it. Now, Ernest Holmes talks about this idea of, um, of the inward world and the outer world in terms of principle and personality, the, the founder of religious science, and we're, we're using his, uh, his book uh, partially for inspiration today. He said the principal part of it is that unchangeable reality of truth, beauty, joy, peace, abundance. And these you can think of, if you will, as templates or archetypes. And what he says about templates and archetypes is that when we invoke them, they have a power beyond our own personal and human nature. So if we invoke that archetype of love, that all-encompassing sense of loving and being loved, it invokes in the world, draws to us everything like it. And and it's almost like we don't even have to work then. It's effortless. When, When we invoke any of these archetypes, whether it be love, whether it be peace, whether it be joy, whether it be happiness, whether it be abundance, when we invoke them, when we embody them, when we feel them, and we know we can choose our feelings now, right? We know we can not only choose our thoughts, but even how we feel about them. When we evoke them, when we feel them, when those archetypes are at play in our lives, it is a magical transformation. It's like there's no denying it. It's like bringing in the race consciousness of what everyone on the planet has believed about love, what everyone on the planet has thought to be true about abundance and richness, what everyone on the planet has believed to be true about what is best and highest in terms of peace or joy or wholeness. And when we invoke that power of God, that universal essence of these things, There is no stopping it in our lives. And then he contrasts that idea with the idea of personality because personality is the individualized form of things. And when we rely on our reaction to the forms, our reaction to the personality, what happens when they change? Then we're at the mercy of external forces in our lives. Here's how he puts it. I want to quote from uh, from Love and Law. He says, learn to distinguish between personality and principle. Principle is changeless reality. Principle is not bound by the form it takes. It is forever free and joyous. Principle fills you and surges around you and as you. And when you recognize that you are depending upon principle, 
rather than form, you become self-educated to the realization of your own ability to use God. Now we think of God as a force, as an intelligence, but did we think of it as a tool? And I swear in the same way that we can use our own conscious choice of our feelings and our thoughts as tools, so there is a part of God like a tool that reacts to our use, to our tone painting, if you will, to our own ability to bring into our lives joy and peace and love by holding it in our hearts, by understanding it, by bringing up the emotions and the thoughts that correspondence. That is absolutely how we use God. So not only is God kind of on our side, not only is God here as, as part of that one mind to highlight some of the goodness on this planet, but it's also here, this power, this presence is absolutely here as a tool to enliven us, to embolden us, and to act upon our own choice of emotions and feelings. All right, now I have some homework for us this week. I want us to go on a joy ride together. Now, it's not, like, uh, it's not like the 50s, right, where we're in the car on Broadway Drive going back and forth. Not that kind of joy ride. But if we are to experience the joy of living, I would like us to heighten our awareness of it. And so for this week, and, and, and maybe you'd like to even take this on as something that we're going to do for a little bit here, I would like us to become aware, first of all, of our emotional tone painting and our own ability to bring up a feeling of joy when we choose to. Now, this might sound a little foreign at first, right? It's not so foreign when we talk about ideas. So why is it that initially we're thinking, well, so I'm just going to bring up joy, like, like put it on like a, like a jacket? And yeah, actually, that is what I'm suggesting. And I think that with a little practice, even in just a week, we're going to see a profound difference. Now, um, um, let me give you a trick here. Because if it seems a little foreign, if the idea of just sitting still and bringing up a feeling seems a little wah-wah, um, try this one on for size. One thing you can do is at the end of your day, just recollect, think back about your day, and pick out maybe the five most joyous moments. Because what I do know, in every single life in this room, there are highlights throughout our day. Sometimes very small things. Sometimes it might be seeing Sharon Lee Foley with a particularly beautiful smile on her face, right? Sometimes it might be at church and listening to Linda Rossi sing in the spectacular way that you did today. What I know is, find five joyous moments that you had every day and maybe make a note of them. Maybe kind of highlight them in your own mind and feel that feeling again. So this is the rehearsal part of it. Kind of relive that moment, right? Like in your mind's eye, picture Sharon, or in your mind's ear, remember how Linda sang that day, and see if you can recreate that same feeling in your heart, that same feeling of joy. So that's the, you can think of it as a rehearsal, but I think rather quickly you will begin to realize you can choose your feelings. So let's go on a joy ride this week. I want you to highlight the joy in your lives. And even if you're embarking upon something that on the surface sounds a little iffy, like, do you know what I mean? Like a conversation with someone you haven't seen in a while that maybe ended not so badly last time, or, or maybe it's a, a little bit of a meeting with your boss and you're not sure what's going to happen. 
if you really want to test this idea, even in those situations, pre-plan how you would like to feel in that situation rather than being in reaction to it, okay? So give it a shot. So that's your kind of a little bit of a two-part homework. One, seek out, highlight, recall, and practice some joyous moments in your life. You're going to get really good at it. I know you will. And the second one is see if you can choose a different kind of emotion, pre-plan it a little bit, going into a situation that's a little bit dicey. Okay, so I know we're going to have a fun week together. You can tell I'm jazzed from our party last night. We had a lot of fun. I've been using that one as, as my, my pre-practicing for joy in my life for today. So do something likewise in your own life. I'd like to end with a prayer today, and I can't think of a better prayer than the one that's right at the end of this chapter called The Joy of Living, right out of the book. So I invite you to just close your eyes and let us pray. Take a treatment for the recognition of ourselves as infinite in our being. Now we are at peace. We are at peace with all the universe of perfect life and perfect joy. Within and without, we feel this perfect one divine consciousness of being. I am. I am. Am. We recognize the law of mind, which is the activity of spirit within us, as supremely governing every activity of our life, as manifesting into the expression of complete freedom, complete health of body, prosperity of circumstances, satisfaction and joy, and peace to our souls. And so this word which we express, which is the presence and the power and the activity of almightiness through us, it dissolves within us every concept of imperfection. We now erase every belief and limitation, bondage, want, or lack. We are supported, liberated, and free. We are part of that great sweep of universal recognition wherein I am that I am. And so it is. Thank you very much.